season. Football has always been a game about power. Man versus man, body versus body, mind versus mind. Chess at a dead sprint. Those who play it or coach it know the feeling they get with a big hit or a touchdown or the seconds right before a championship win. You can see that need for power by looking into a coach's or a player's eyes as they call in the next play. There is a fire to be in control, but not all power is good. Join us for this first series of Seasoned as two young coaches go headstrong into the smoke looking for the fire where others see no light. Heads. The helmets were laid out on the gym floor according to size, youth, medium, large, and extra large. Most all of them had the same face mask, a single bar vertically down the middle, two horizontally across the middle, and one lower horizontal on the bottom. As the kids made their way into the gym from school getting out, they were all told to get into a line. If the line pushed itself forward in anticipation, Tuan would yell back to cool it. Dude, chill the fuck out! An order would take place in the line again momentarily. Equipment handout does not take an engineering degree, nor do you have to be a tailor. It is more like the preschool toy where you put a square peg in a square hole and the triangle peg in the triangle hole sort of science. If you have a big fat head, move to the XL sizes. Tiny noggin? Check the small and medium first. Skinny face? Get some bigger ear pads. Ear pads are technically not pads for your ears, but reside under the ears, under the ears and touch the cheeks. Jay called attention to the groups and gave a demonstration to the group on how to put on a helmet, knowing that most of them had never done it before. With your index fingers in the ear holes, pull the helmet out, out, out as far as you can and slide it down. It will hurt when your head is dry. It'll be much easier when you are hot and sweaty at practice. Jay and Mr. Smith sent a couple of students at a time to the predicted head-sized locations to try on helmets. Try medium. Try large, Jay would say as he eyed their head sizes. Ow, 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 ow. Trey yelped as he struggled to pull up a helmet that was too small. He seemed, the helmet seemed to be sucking his face off as he pulled it up. Stop, stop, Jay commanded. You have to literally pull out when you pull it up, Jay's memory flashed back. He remembered 15 years previous when he had put on his first helmet. The dry, ripping pain of a wrong fit. When sweaty and wet helmet, when sweaty and wet, a helmet slides on, lubricated with ease. With the wrong fit, no lubrication, it's worse than taking off a turtleneck shirt that is four sizes too small. Each part of the helmet dragging, burning, friction across every part of your face as it crosses, finally before getting across all the surfaces it can contact. As the helmet popped off, Jay could see the red around his earlobes. Also, you need to take off any big earrings in your ears before you put your helmet on, or you're going to rip your ear off when you take it off, Jay announced the group. He was thinking in his head, so many little things, so many lessons, only so much time. At least half of the team had some sort of fake jewelry in at least one ear, if not both. Those who had actually been paying attention started removing their jewelry. As more and more kids got fitted for their first helmets, the expected headbutts occurred. Jay was waiting for a hot pot that was plugged into the gym wall to heat up to boiling. Twenty-five mouthguards sat in a box next to him. He asked Mr. Smith to call the group over. Mr. Smith blew his whistle, made a pissed-off move with his chin, 
waved his hand toward himself and pointed his finger, and the athletes quick, quickly made their way over. Take a knee, he said. The athletes took a knee on the gym floor. You'll need a mouth guard before we go out. This will protect your teeth and protect you from getting knocked out. People get knocked out because they get hit underneath their chin. Their bottom jaw cracks up into their ear. The ear controls your equilibrium, which means your balance. Once that is cracked, lights out. Jay knew this was not the complete biomechanics of a concussion, but knew enough that he wanted to make sure that they always had their mouth guards in. I paid for these with my own money. The school did not give me money for these, so if you lose it, you owe me, and your ass is going to run. Jay demonstrated how to fit the mouth guard. Now, the directions say, dip it in, count to 30, dip it in cold water, and put it in your mouth. Problem is, is it cools too fast and does not form right to your mouth. I repeat, you want a mouth guard to fit perfect. Here's what you do. Dip the mouth part in the water by the strap and hold it down. Once it starts to float, pull it out. Do not let the edges close in or they will stick together and the whole thing will be fucked up. Put it in your mouth right away hot. Bite down and lightly suck the heat and moisture out. Jay demonstrated the air sound. Forming your mouth guard is a big step into the gridiron of manhood. Challenge the heat, pain, and forge a tool to fit your custom battle model. Those who fear the burn end up with a shitty mouth guard that will let her splice their gums daily at practice. Those who put their fears aside and take a step forward without fear end up with a product they are proud to take into battle. The football mouth guard is the only piece of equipment completely custom to the warrior. As Mr. Smith helped out with mouth guard fitting, Jay shared with a couple of leaders how to adjust the chin straps. They could then divide and conquer to help the others get their chin straps adjusted properly. A couple of the heads were too big for the UFF XLs. DeAndre Thompson and Donovan Wells were 8th graders, both weighing in over 250 pounds. DeAndre was closing in on 280. His father was also a very big man. When DeAndre was 4 years old, he was playing with toy wrestlers in the living room. His father walked in from the kitchen after getting a snack and with a giant fall collapsed forward onto the rug in front of DeAndre. His heart was not strong enough to support the 5 foot 10, 425 pound frame. DeAndre and his two sisters were in the house for eight more hours alone as they waited for their mom to arrive home from work. The girls, ages five and four, voices becoming hoarse from crying out. DeAndre's face, two dried up rivers of tears that made white lines down his cheek to his rolls in his neck. DeAndre's father was only 28 years old when he passed away. Not only would DeAndre's own weight be on his own mind, so would possibly so the possibility of dying young like his father for the same genetic reasons. DeAndre's helmet was not just adult size. It was XL adult size. Thin ear pads were put in to help squeeze his head in. But once on, it was like DeAndre was putting on a new skin, a new life. For the first time in his life, he felt something he had never felt before. Purpose. Since kindergarten, DeAndre had always been double the weight of his peers. DeAndre tried to tried his best to deter the other kids, fat kids jokes with threats of violence or a little shove, but because of his size and potential power, his teachers would keep him away from other students when they saw DeAndre becoming angry. By second grade, his obesity made him too slow to even catch any boys or the little shitheads that teased him about his weight and size. The occasional passive-aggressive hip checks or accidental bumps would never add 
to what he wanted to do to the people that hurt him, and more often just made their attacks more frequent. So DeAndre became quiet. On the true side of DeAndre was a boy who was sweet to the core, caring, selfless, and often never wanted to harm anyone, even those who gave him such pain. Because of being quiet, DeAndre had trouble making friends, and so he became a follower of anyone who gave him the slightest respect. Some caring teachers DeAndre would adore, and he would be quick to defend them if classmates publicly disrespected again, disrespected them. But again, this was not a way to make your, your peers your friends. Football allows for gladiators like DeAndre to step into a whole new arena of life, utilize size and weight to meet specific objectives designed for people just like him. A football team that would need him, want him, and most importantly, respect him for who he was. Who crammed that potato sack into that helmet? Tyreek yelled out for all to hear, pointing at DeAndre and laughing out louder than he yelled. The respect DeAndre was looking for, unfortunately, would not start today. Though the helmet fit over his head, his cheeks bulged to the front. Most football players who put on a helmet have at least three inches between their face and their face mask. DeAndre had about an inch, inch and a half at most. DeAndre also had a short, thick neck that connected to his wide, thick body. In his head, Jay agreed that Tyreek was right, and that DeAndre did not look like a typical football football player. But as he looked around the gym of the 22 who showed up for equipment that day, only one or two actually looked like they had any football potential. Jay was not concerned. He did not people... He did not need people who looked like football players. He needed gladiators he could turn into football players. Kids with helmets on grabbed each other by the elbows and pulled each other together in practice of cracking their skulls and testing out the effectiveness of the new helmets. Who cared? For once they could play as hard as they wanted with something without fear of breaking it and getting into trouble. After the last kid was fitted, Mr. Green gave the direction, and they moved as a group to the practice field, which was basically the grass part of the playground. Since school had gotten out 30 minutes before, there was no one really around as they exited the building. A couple of younger neighborhood kids who had already been home saw the players crossing the blacktop to the grass, jumped on their bikes to join in the parade to the first practice. Pedaling hard up on the sides of the group, the neighborhood kids, kids were quick to make fun of the players that looked goofy in their new headgear. Some kids asked if they could join the team, knowing they were too young and too small. I would bust y'all, shouted a small kid on a bike with no seat as he taunted and smiled. It's much easier to talk trash when you know there's no actual chance of having to compete. Jay and Mr. Smith made their way to the grass and dropped down two big black duffel bags filled with cones, balls, and other practice equipment. Jay walked another ten yards out into the field and turned around. Bring it in. Take a knee. Your helmets are going to start to hurt your head. Your head is not tough for it yet. If after three days you are still uncomfortable or it's cutting you, let me know. Only take your helmet off for water breaks until your head gets used to it. The more you take your helmet off, the longer it will take your head to adjust. Again, after three days, you should be good. Here's how practice will go. Whole group, small group, whole group, just like in school. We'll start with team stretch, add a new plays, then break into positions for skill work. Then back to group for offense versus defense and with special teams for the day. One of the boys on the bikes, only wearing a tank top and shorts, had made his way into the duffel bags had done some silent unzipping, was starting to retrieve a football like a doctor pulling a baby out of a C-section. Boy, put that goddamn football down, Smith yelled over. This ain't good, Will. Get going before I snatch your neck and toss you over that fence. The boy 
dropped the ball quick and headed for his bike, making sure to be noticed spitting at Mr. Smith. Mr. Smith looked quickly around the area for, for a rock. As he reached down, the boy recognized what he intended to do with it when he found one, so he scrambled to get his bike up and moving as fast as possible. The other bo bike boys decided to join him, but stayed away in the side so as not to be in range of fire of any incoming missiles. Mr. Smith had found a decent little rock, took a brief second to judge the speed of the moving target, and throttled the rock, to rock toward the boy's back. Aiming for the back of his, the mm -hmm. best he could do was ding it off the back spokes for the, from the 30-yard distance. The rock made a clinking sound as it ricocheted in the spokes two more times. The boy, knowing that there was only one rock fired, stopped his bike, turned around, and flipped Mr. Smith off. I'm going to tell my daddy, the boy yelled, seemingly about to cry, but also angered. Please bring your daddy up here, Mr. Smith retorted. Good luck finding him, he chuckled to himself as he returned to the group who was watching the event take place. With the bike group distraction gone, it was time for stretch lines to commence. Jay quickly got out four cones and set them five yards apart in a line. The players got up from their knee and made their way into the four lines behind the cones. High needs. Tuan called out, High knees! Ready, go! And the first group behind the cone started out, leaning back, thrusting knees above hip high with enthusiasm as it, the season, was finally starting. The next person in Tuan's line waited two seconds and repeated, Ready, go! Sending off the next set of players. As the boys continued through their warm-up routine, known from seasons of flag football in years past, High knees, buck kicks, lunges, karaoke, backpedal. Jay made announcements. We only have eight days before our first game and only five practice days. Practice on the weekend was not possible for a couple of reasons. For one, it was too dangerous to be practicing on the school playground on a weekend. Gangs of teacher, teenagers roaming around looking for trouble to get into would make their practice an easy target for heckling. The distractions alone would not make for a conducive practice. The second reason was the engineer was only paid for and would only open the school on Saturday mornings to get the equipment on official game days. Jay shrugged and tried to get the negative thought of not enough time from his head. His future opponents in the Shoreview Southside League had been practicing since mid-August. They would have had three full weeks of practice and at least one live full scrimmage with another team before Jay's team had even known their positions. Jay would have loved to start in August, but again, too many numerous of problems would hold him back. The school would not be open to anyone, teachers or students, until two days before school started, making it impossible for kids to get equipment. Equipment could not be taken home because it had really, a really good chance of being stolen, either on the way home by neighborhood bullies or by jealous cousins, who, both who loved the idea of having a real football helmet to crash around in. Second biggest obstacle was half of his team had no reliable phone connection or communication tool that Jay could rely on to contact his players. He could call the numbers listed in the school database, home phones, cell phones, grandma's phones, auntie's phones, work phones. Out of the 22 players' phone numbers on the field on the first day, only four of them in the database would not return a disconnected message, and only one of those four numbers would actually pick up. Tuan's mom. Jay was not so much worried about losing, so much as looking like a horse's ass. His team, running around like chickens with their heads cut off. He would actually be okay being on a team that lost every game. 
it was the time crunch and pressure to develop a team that would be able to hold together through the season that worried, was what worried him. An athlete's worst feeling is not the feeling from failure after a loss. The worst feeling an athlete can feel is embarrassment in front of your peers and loved ones because an opponent's supreme forces and tactics rendered them powerless and made a mockery of their inability to compete at the opponent's level when they thought they could. If Jay felt this as a coach, his players would feel this after each game. And after each game, he would have less and less warriors. And soon, there would be no team. Thinking, fuck it. There was no time for fear of embarrassment right now. What are the most important things to get done before the first game that makes us most effective? We can be. For a moment, a checklist of football must have ran through his mind. We need offensive plays that utilize our speed. And on defense, we need to learn angles of pursuit because there is no doubt we will be chasing from behind all day. We also need to solidify our basic main rules of the game. Otherwise, the referees will eat us alive and we will destroy ourselves from the inside. Good news was, Jay had many of these kids, mostly to the skill positions, quarterbacks, running backs, and receivers, on his flag football team. So they knew at least some of the pass plays and how to run routes. Bad news, the effectiveness of pass plays in middle school were at 10% at best. The long bomb had less than a 2% chance of actually working in a tackle football game. There were big differences between flag and tackle football. The first being there's two lines of giant people, offensive line and defensive line, in front of the quarterback, and one of them is on the attack. Often pass plays in middle school and even high school usually involve a quarterback not actually seeing his target, rather just throwing blindly with the faith that his receiver is in the area that he is supposed to be. The second biggest difference is the equipment factor. Flag football players do not wear shoulder pads that restrict arm movements, nor wear helmets with face masks that partially block front views and side that block peripheral views. Third is in flag opponents are only trying to grab a flag at the waist to the end of the play. Whereas in tackle, they might be trying to stick their shoulders through the back of your spine to the end of the play. There would be time for one pass play, maybe two. The waggle and the pop pass. The waggle was a play action pass play. Essentially, it works only after running a similar action run play over and over and over and over until the defense starts to cheat on the run play. That, that is when the waggle is called. Instead of handing off the ball and drifting, instead of handing off the ball and drifting in the opposite direction of the planned run, the quarterback keeps the ball and hides it as he makes his way to the open side of the field with the ball. All the players continue on their passes they did in the running play, except instead of blocking a particular player in the running play, they pass them and flood an area of the field ahead of the direction the quarterback is heading, putting at least one defensive player in the, oh shit, situation where they have to try and defend now three potential receivers that have come into his area. Once the defender picks the one who he thinks he has to guard, the quarterback finds the closest open receiver and completes the pass. The pop pass is just a quick pass to the tight end. The play is easy to teach because it happens so fast only two people are actually involved when it works right. The point is to catch the linebackers cheating forward. On the snap of the ball, the tight end shoots forward four yards, turn around, and expects the ball to pop into his face as the quarterback shoots it over the linebackers. As long as the safety is not expecting it, this play can be a quick first down versus an overly aggressive opponent's. Day one practice goes well. Lots of sweat, itchy foreheads across the board as players get used to the helmet. Without pads, linemen are at a disadvantage, without being able to hit anyone. But since most everyone is out of shape, they don't mind standing around a little for a while, 
allows the running backs and receivers run through plays over and over. The skinny players finish off the day running lines down the field during special plays practice, special teams practice. Jay brings everyone in and they take a knee, out of breath and ready to take a break. Half of you have smiles on your face even though you worked harder and pushed harder in one day, harder than you've ever been pushed in your life, and yet you feel good. Clap it up. You should be happy, proud of your accomplishments. Our goal today was take our first steps into this season and prove every single day we are on this field. We have no space for complacency. We have no place for weakness on this team. As you go back into school tomorrow, there'll be others ready to take that feeling and pride and team away from you. You cannot be weak or lower yourself. We need your strength on and off this field to win this year. Five practices till our first game, and we cannot waste one minute. Mr. Smith, you got anything to say? For real now. There ain't no time for messing around with girls. Some of y'all got teachers waiting for you to mess up. We can't have that. No sleeping in class either, Trey shouted up to his teammates, half serious, half wanting to call out Ronald for sleeping half the days. Sleep when you die, Mr. Smith commanded, also half serious, but with a little humor. We got games to win this season. All right, fellas, let's do this. Tuan, break us down, Jay announced as he and Mr. Smith stepped back towards the equipment. Tuan stood up and the rest followed a half second behind him and the team closed in on him. Tuan raised his new helmet above his head, looking up. Soon the other's helmets touched his own. No time for weakness! We didn't come out here to get our ass beat! We need to take this to the next level, son! Tuan looked around the circle, sweat-drenched faces around him, making eye contact to confirm who was with him before he starts his breakdown. Who are we? Tuan shouts. Wildcats! Team shouts back. Who are we? Tuan repeats. Wildcats! What do we do? Dominate! What do we do? Dominate! Let's go kick some ooh! As the team says the ooh in a low, deep voice, how they break apart and spread from each other. Mr. Smith shouts out, Robert! Ronald! Get the cones, get picked up! The two boys take a brief look at each other. Take off running. A silent signal for a game of who can get the most cones first com- starts, first commences. As they race around the outside of the field, both kids have about the same amount as both get to back to about the last cone at the same time. A small collision as the battles for the last imaginary point and their shoulders hit. Ron, who is a little bigger and a little bit more athletic, knocks three cones out of Robert's arms. Ronald quickly grabs the last cone and one of the ones Robert dropped and takes back off for the duffel bags, laughing and looking back over his shoulder. Rob picks up the other two and chases from behind, uttering some swear words under his breath at Ronald. As they finish their sprint back, they drop the cones by the equipment bags and lean over to catch their breath, smiling at each other. Most of the players are already halfway back to the school building. Ronald, Robert and Ronald get their helmets and start to head in when Mr. Smith calls out, Little Ron, come here for a second. Ronald walks over in front of Smith and Jay. What's with this you falling asleep? In R's class. R was short for Mr. R. Mr. R was short for Mr. Rostowski. Mr. Rostowski was, was a teacher who cared about his job, was respected by his colleagues, and had expectations for students to follow in his class. But he did not go much farther than the books. If a student was disrespectful... It was not his feeling to connect with the student to find where the disrespect came from. 
If a student did not turn in homework, it was not his job to find out the reason it was not completed. If a student slept in his class, it was not up to him to wake him or her up unless snoring was disrupting his teaching. Ronald drooled a little on his desk when he slept, but he did not snore. Ronald did not talk a lot either. He rarely participated in school discussions unless it involved him chiming in on the ribbon of another student. Ribbon was the word used for insulting or heckling. This word would change every four to five years, but the definition stayed the same. Giving someone else shit. Ronald had gotten into a bad pattern of sleeping in class starting seventh grade. In fourth and fifth grade, Ronald was smiley happy, one of the most talented basketball players for his age in the city. He was smooth, suave, team player. He could shoot, no-look pass, play tenacious defense, all with a smile. He could dribble with both hands effortlessly, and as other kids his age looked years behind his skill level, Ronald never bragged. He just loved utilizing his natural talent and his taught skills, also known as Little Ron because he was named after his dad, a, a father who could also play basketball, moves from the street that could be learned from hours on the court observing other magicians from the blacktop. Ronald Sr. taught the skills to Little Ron early and persistently. Working from Ron Sr. was able to get his first son a lot of attention as customers usually only came to his door after Little Ron was asleep. But as Little Ron entered into sixth grade, new curiosities entered his mind as adolescence hit. Little Ron could no longer sleep knowing that customers were coming to his house all hours of the night. Soon Ron Sr. would teach Little Ron new skills about measurement, counting money, and security. And so as Little Ron took to answering the door at night, selling bags of weed and cocaine, entertaining female guests with his smile, his smile during the days at school disappeared, and so did his attention in class as he drifted off to sleep. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seasoned. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast so you never miss the next episode. And of course, we appreciate any shares to others who might like Seasoned.